Welcome to the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast from Nashville, Tennessee. I am your host, John Martin Keith. Celebrities, working class musicians, and people who work behind the scenes in all areas of the music industry will share their stories, encourage you, and give practical advice of ways you can make a living doing what you love in the music industry. This episode is brought to you by Edenbrook Productions. Edenbrook Productions is the company I founded to help musicians grow in their craft. Are you a songwriter, but maybe you've been told your songs aren't quite there yet? Or are your songs ready, but you don't feel stage ready? Or maybe music is your passion, but you feel imprisoned by your day job and you don't know what to do next to make your dream a reality. Well, Edenbrook Productions is here to help. We offer consulting services via phone call, Skype, and FaceTime. And for the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast listeners, we're offering an introductory one-hour consultation special. Click on the link in the show notes to contact me, and let's get you making a living in the music industry. Hey guys, welcome to the show today. This week I'm talking with my dear friend, Carl Cartee, who is the worship pastor at my home church, a Fellowship Bible Church in Brentwood, Tennessee. We are talking about the importance of being discipled by a mentor when you are starting out as a worship leader and how you are a communicator using music as a means to encourage other people. Grab a pen and paper and get ready to take lots of great notes. All right, guys, I am hanging out here with my good friend, Mr. Carl Carty. How are you today, sir? Hey, Marty, I'm good. It's good to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks for letting me come and hang out in your office here. I love it. Palatial confines of Fellowship Bible Church. (laughs) Right. So, yes, for our listeners, we are at at our home church, Fellowship Bible Church here in Brentwood. And I've had lots of people um, have been on the show that either work here or we have met here because we've served together on the worship team and, you know, different capacities and that kind of thing. And it just, it's kind of a natural thing being in Nashville, being a part of a larger church where, you know, the being in this space together. You know, even though we're a part of a worship team, the majority of us are doing music as, as a living in some form or fashion. Sure. You know, so that's been really cool to kind of get to know people and hear their stories and those types of things. So, yeah. but I want to hear your story because you're the worship pastor. Yeah. For fellowship. I am. And um, and you're a recording artist and touring artist and you've kind of done a little bit of everything. Yep. Which we love. Yeah. And um, so I want to hear your story. I want people to hear your story and um, r- real quick so our audience knows how we initially know each other. We met years ago, very briefly, and I think you'll probably remember this. Um, there's a park in Franklin called Pinkerton Park. Yeah. And uh, my wife and I were were hanging out there one, one spring day, and we're heading back to the car, and I saw a, a group of guys playing, I think it was Frisbee. Yeah. And uh, was walked past, saw you walk past you, did not know who you were at the time, and... Uh, but you had a shirt on that said, wake the silence. I was like, that's Jonathan Parks Jordan. Uh, wake the silence. I know that guy. And you're like, oh, yeah, I know that guy. And so it's just a <laughs> mutual friend of ours for people to know. He's he's uh, another musician and an actor and has been in different movies and things like that. But that was just a really cool – that was our first initial contact with each other. Yeah. And we met a few times you know, after that. And then eventually when we started coming to church here, I got to know you and got to serve on the worship team here. So – that's just a fun little that is fun fun little That's tidbit cool. of how we met. And I do remember that. I remember yeah. meeting you that day. <laughs> I was playing frisbee with Ronnie Freeman, Jeremy Dobler, and Jason Inger. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yep. We yep. were all. That was part of like a worship leader uh, group that was leading worship here at Fellowship at the time, and we were 
we had like it was such a, it was one of those beautiful days you know and we yeah. had gotten like lunch or something and we were like we can't go back yet let's like you know go outside and do something outside together so yeah I, that's what that was yeah that's awesome all right so anyway let's back up um tell everyone who you are where you're from what what got you on the journey in the music industry to begin with and what you do now okay yeah well i've done a bunch of stuff in music uh, I was just telling somebody today how thankful I am to be, you know, this far into like, you know, earning a living as a career doing anything and to be able to say that, you know, my whole life I've, you know, bought groceries and paid rent with like, you know, music. And yeah. So I'm so Which is the goal for, for most of us. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> really, that's I've, it. I've always described myself as a as a blue collar musician, you know, um, but like I make a living playing music, you know, yeah, yeah. and it's, you know, in many ways, it's like multiple streams, you know, converging, you know, in the same place and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But um, for 20 plus years now, that's been the way God has allowed, God has provided for me, yeah. you know, for and for my family. So I started out, um, I'm from a, um, a, a musical family. I have musical grandparents. Uh, I had um, my mom's parents were musical. And then my dad, uh was really kind of a among his family he was a, a a bit of an outlier he he played music and just fell in love with stringed instruments like like guitar banjo um folk instruments like when i was a little kid so like we were uh, i never remember a time where there wasn't like easy access for me to a musical instrument. Mm -hmm. You know, we always had a piano. There was a just, you know, they were never like super nice instruments, you know, but there's, there's always access uh, for me to, you know, to some kind of instrument. And so that's how I grew up. My world was, it was music. Uh, and there are a lot of other factors, you know, family factors that, um, that came, that came into play. Uh, some, some, some good, some very painful, but for me as a, as a way of coping and dealing with, you know, different dynamics of my family, um, music always was the place that was most like, like music was like a second mother to me. It was like very nurturing. And mm -hmm. so like, I would find myself going to music to, to sing and to play and to learn kind of just as a, as a type of medicine, you know? So mm -hmm. I loved music. Like I don't ever remember a time where I didn't yeah. play music, you know? When did you start getting out and actually starting playing shows and writing songs? And Yeah, well, part of, a big part of my story is kind of the place I grew up uh, in. I, I grew up in a, in a particular kind of church, but um, the church that I grew up in was very controlling and um, there was a lot of uh, legalism, and there really there were some theological beliefs that were outside of what you might describe as Orthodox Christian theology, mm -hmm. and and there were some some unhealth and some like you know like a controlling pastor figure and the legalism and uh, it was somewhat oppressive, you know, like the ladies had to dress a certain way and. Um, it was kind of odd, you know, I didn't know any different, yeah. you know, that's just kind of where we grew up. Now, something that was unique about this place, though, was that there was a rich music culture. So like instruments and drums and piano and bass lines and, and songwriting and things like that. That was a part of my church life. It wasn't like, 
I didn't go to a church that made like a shift from like, you know, pianos and organs and like kind of being stuffy or something like that into what you, you might say modern music, like playing in a band in church was always a part of my vernacular. Right. And so, but then there was also that somewhat dysfunctional side with the legalism mm -hmm. and uh, the kind of odd theology and, and then the controlling, you know, like pastor figure that was a, was a part of my life for a long time. And so the denomination that I grew up in really was not willing to allow you to go to college unless you went to a denominational affiliated college. But the only one that was available to us at the time was not an accredited college. So it's basically like you kind of keep circling the same drain, you know, if right. you went to this, to this particular place. Okay. And, um, and, but, but then I won a scholarship to go to a, a, a just like while I was in high school, I applied for some scholarships. I think, may, you know, maybe I, I might go somewhere else. And so I want a, I want a music scholarship to go to uh, to a Southern Baptist school. But that was kind of a no-no because, like, we it was a sort of denomination where you didn't associate with, like, other denominations mm -hmm. or you might go to hell. Um, not joking around. That was kind of serious yeah. business. You Which know? we don't recommend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but just to get yeah, the backstory. Yeah. But, but um, that, was, um, that was kind of the, the perspective that I grew up but I, did, I didn't want the scholarship to go to waste. And so I asked for permission from my pastor. We'll call him Darth Pastor. Uh, he, he was part of the dark side. Uh, he was a really scary, controlling guy. He really was. But I asked for permission to go to this college. And the only reason he granted me permission was that I would go as a missionary. And so he was like, if you go there, you have to like be a missionary for our church to all these lost um, Baptist kids and then bring them back. And I was like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. So I went and uh, when I got there though, I had this, I had this upbringing of playing in bands, knowing how to play music, uh, understanding vocals. I was a pretty good singer. I was a pretty good guitar player. I could play keys. And I got there and everybody else that was there uh, was just now discovering like Chris Tomlin and passion was just like starting to be a thing. I'm, I'm talking about the mid nineties. Yeah. And, um, it seems like a world away, uh, from now, but like that was when I, I had first gotten started in playing music. I've been playing music all my life and playing music in church. And so my new classmates who I was now the missionary for, uh, were asking, you know, like, man, I wish we could play these Chris Tomlin songs, or I wonder if anyone has a chord chart, or uh, I wonder if we could write our own songs. And these are all things that I had already been doing, you know, a lot in my life. And I knew I, I had a real good ear, and so I could, you know, hear a song, chart it out, and we could play it, you know, in 10 minutes. And everyone was like, man, you're good at this. You should be our worship leader. You should help us. You can sing, and let's... Now, the whole time in my heart, I'm like, ugh. I'm not supposed to be like hanging out with you guys. It's mm -hmm. like, I'm going to get in trouble. So this conflict started arising in my heart. You know, I met these folks, you know, they're going to Christian school. They're leading worship. They're reading the Bible, talking about the scriptures in ways that I had never heard before. But like, I was I also had this other voice telling me like, no, these, these guys are lost. Mm -hmm. These guys are, are, are not part of the true faith. And I was like, man, I, I'm conflicted. And so I really wrestled for several months with, you know, kind of this new set of friends that I found in college. And then the last 18 previous years of my life, what I had been told. And so I got a call from 
Darth Pastor, the guy, my, my pastor, after I had gone out a couple of weekends and played music in other churches with these new friends that I had made in college. And I got a call from him, and he said, hey, I've, I've heard a couple of things about you, uh, things that I'm not pleased to hear. He said, I, I need you to come to my office, and we're going to have a talk. And again, he was very intimidated, very controlling person at that time in my life. And um, and when I hung up the phone, man, I was I was trembling, and I was nervous. And I remember, though, just kind of hanging off the phone, taking a deep breath. And that was a Wednesday when he called me. And our meeting was to be after church on Sunday night. So when I got up with the phone that Wednesday, I remember I kind of envisioned myself as somewhat of a poker player because I really didn't know Marty. I was just confused. I was as afraid of changing as I was afraid of staying the same, you know, but I did feel God so strongly in my heart. It was just I didn't have clarity. I, I knew that he was leading me somewhere, but the where was still real fuzzy. And so I'm, I imagine myself as a poker player, just pushing all the chips that I had into the center of the table mm-hmm. and just saying, God, I'm all in. I said, Lord, if you want me to go back to my pastor and do everything he says and follow this tradition that I'd grown up in and abandon this you know, thing that I'm feeling in my heart, then I want to follow you. I want to follow you in truth. I'll, I will go. By the same measure, if you're calling me somewhere else, I will do that too. I don't know where, I don't know what it looks like, but I'll go. And so for the next four days, three and a half days, I prayed and fasted. And it was easily the threshold week of my life because I, um, I prayed like I never prayed before. Um, I saw God like I had never before, and I asked for His wisdom like I never had before. And um, and so Sunday night came, and I didn't have any more clarity uh, on Sunday than I did on uh, Wednesday. At least I didn't think I did. But I remember sitting down in my pastor's office, and it's funny now uh, when I look back on it because what he said to me is somewhat comical. <laughs> but it is the very thing that God used to unlock my heart. But I... Uh, he began by saying, you know, is it is it true? I've heard that you've been out playing music uh, at other churches with other people that aren't a part of this denomination. Is that true? And I said, uh, I said, yes, sir, it is. And uh, this is what he said to me. He said, I'll give you six months, Carl. You'll be on drugs, in jail, and worst of all, playing rock and roll. That's exactly <laughs> what he said to me. <laughs> like, so the hierarchy of things on drugs, pretty bad in jail, even worse, but the worst of all playing rock, rock and roll. And roll. So, <laughs> but that's exactly what he said to me. And that was the moment. And those were the words that God used, you know, like it's like a, the Bible describes a story, a story part of Paul's conversion. It's almost like scales falling off of his eyes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that was my, the scales fell off of my eyes. I, I knew the Lord. Yeah. Uh, you know, at that point in my, in my journey, I, I, was, I was a believer and I was seeking God. Um, I just didn't quite know where he was going to take me in my life. But that was a threshold moment. And, and that was the threshold moment to where I felt God, the Spirit of God, speak so clearly to me and say, Carl, get up and run from here. Not away from danger, but run 
into the things that I have prepared for you. And I knew in that moment that God was going to take me in his hand and use me to to play music for his people and and allow me to use music to point people to Jesus. And so for 20 plus years, that's what I've been doing. Wow. What a story. Yeah, it's 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 the second time I've told that story this week and I'm so thankful to God for like his hand on my life. It's yeah. like from that chair in his office in Gastonia, North Carolina, over 20 years ago, to this place right now where I am, that yeah. that was the threshold it's night, moment. It's a night and day. Yeah, it's but it's but that difference. was the threshold moment yeah. for me, and uh, and I'm so I'm so thankful. Yeah, I am. So once you were once you moved out of that scenario, and now you're out, you know, you're in college and you're yeah. leading worship, different churches, and and building relationships with people, and you're you know you're you know, you're writing charts and you're learning how to do all this kind of stuff. Like you're immediately becoming a worship leader. Yeah. Team leader for this group Absolutely, of students yeah. that are musicians. Yeah. So, so um, the college community that I ended up being a part of, they had these little revival teams. And so the college kids would form these teams and then a church say from the region would call and say, well, you send a team uh, and we'll do, um, a youth like evangelism weekend. So mm-hmm. we go in on a Friday and, mm-hmm. and hang out with the kids and do a rally on Saturday and play at the church on Sunday. And so I would go and be a part of these teams and I would play play music and sing. And sometimes I'd even sing songs that I had had been, I started to write songs at this time because as you might imagine, it was, I mean, it was a threshold moment in my life, but I was also like filled with uncertainty, filled with fear, wrestling through all of these, you know, new things, and so uh, I'm, I'm out there doing a lot of this. And then um, this guy, by God's grace, um, met me. His name is Robert Shaw. And Robert, uh, to this day, is still just a dear, dear friend. I'm like a father in the faith to me. But at the time, uh, Robert was a traveling evangelist. And he would go and speak at churches on the weekends. and think, you know, all, all the time. That was his full-time job. And he saw me lead worship somewhere. And uh, we met, became friends, and he said, Carl, I'd like to invite you to come out with me and so that wherever I go and preach, you'll go and sing, you know, and lead worship. And I was like, you kidding me? That's the best deal ever. I am 100% in, you know? And so so I started traveling with Robert, and for about three years, I listened to him preach every night. And when we went from city to city in his car, he discipled me. And you know, like where when I when I grew up, I had not learned Orthodox Christianity. I I just knew what somebody else told me. But Robert taught me how to pray. Robert taught me how to read the Bible. Robert taught me how to listen to the Holy Spirit and obey. Uh, Robert taught me how to be a good man. Uh, Robert taught me how to be a good husband, even though I wasn't married at the time. Robert taught me how to be a good father, even though I didn't have kids at the time. And he like changed my the whole trajectory of my life just because of the time investment and the kindness that he made in me yeah. um, right after, you know, that kind of like conversion moment, mm-hmm. you know, Damascus Road kind of like, oh, my gosh. Then the next phase was like I got all these reps and I got this opportunity, and I was really going on raw talent at that point. You know what I mean? I was good enough to, like, get up and sing and play the guitar, and people would like it, you know? Yeah. But then Robert knew that. To, for, for me to really develop into um, a communicator and a minister that I would I needed to be a disciple. And so Robert was the, he was the next layer, layer of that. And so for three years, you know, 
like until I, you know, got out of college and a little bit after that, mm-hmm. I was with Robert. So let's talk about that for a second because so three years in college for for people listening because there are a lot of college students, you know, early twenties, late teens, whatever that are that are listening to this and are wanting you know, wanting to go into to music ministry, wanting to be a worship pastor, a worship leader, um, whether it be at a church or going out on the road and doing conferences, retreats, and things like that. Um, how important is it to be discipled? You know, what advice would you give someone that's out doing it right now that maybe every now and then are discipled, you know, versus you know, someone who has a Robert in their life that's just yeah. constantly with them, who's yeah. speaking in their life. Like, what can you can you speak into? Like, you know, the importance of it. Like, what does that do for someone who is out leading worship in that in those early yeah those early well, years? I mean, the the importance of it is really you can't quantify it. It's immeasurable. Now, like for me, it was somewhat organic, or I would say that it was the hand of God on me at that time because without that I'm not sure that I would still be able to be in, in ministry today because I would not have had some of those core foundational things that Robert was able to really impart to me you know but Bob, the Bible talks about you know in some of Paul's letters he's in some of Paul's letters he says I, I want to come to you that I might impart to you a spiritual gift mm-hmm. well like Robert imparted to me some spiritual gifts just like you know just like Paul did and so like you can't underestimate it, and it's kind of like you, you might compare it to the difference between like a tree or a plant growing organically in the forest. Like it's going to grow, it's going to get nutrients, but if you transplant that into a cultivated environment, say like a greenhouse where there's a cultivated kind of light and there is a specific type of nutrients and you're getting on a consistent basis a diet, so to speak, of important formational nutritious things you're going to you you'll grow everywhere but like if you have someone that's invested in cultivating you and helping helping you grow mm-hmm. that's a different kind of growth it's a different kind of maturity and just like a greenhouse it has a way of accelerating your growth some you know sometimes some things you cannot accelerate you know like some things it just takes time and the christian yeah. faith is a lot like that, but I do look back at my life and I see time and relationships um, with certain people who were cultivating me and helping me grow and helping me develop that my growth was accelerated for a season. You know, right. you can't grow at like super fast speeds for your whole entire life, but there sure. are times when your growth is accelerated. And especially early on when, especially if you're in college or you're just starting your ministry, that's a threshold moment. You're about to cross from one room into another. When you cross that threshold, you don't want to go into a new place like underdeveloped or without the resources and the training and the tools that um, that you need. So mm-hmm. I, I, I say you can't underestimate it. And sometimes, you know, like for me with Robert, it was very organic. Like I didn't know him from, you know, from anyone. And uh, he comes up to me, but the Lord used it, even if it's retroactive and, and you might be in a place where you say, you know, some of your listeners might say, well, I don't, I don't have a Robert, you know, I, that's, um, that's also a thing that as an older man, now I would look back on someone and say, like, if you don't have a Robert, cultivate a Robert, just look around, ask God to bring you someone in your life 
who you can uh, be developed by. And now it's, it's so much easier with like how connected everyone is. Mm-hmm. I mean, almost everybody that you could ever dream of contacting is not very far out of your reach, like through social media or anything like that. So to say that, you know, the people aren't there, um, it's just a, it's just a little bit of a grind and a little bit of a hustle away to find them. But um, yeah. I, I think God brings people like that to us. Well, and I mean, if you're wanting to go into music ministry anyway, I mean, chances are, I mean, hopefully you're part of a church, <laughs> you know. So, I mean, your pastor, obviously, sure. for one, reach out to your pastor. And if they're not... You know, always available. There, there's someone in your church. Heck, reach out to reach out to me. I'm dead. I'm dead serious. Like, I, like the difference that Robert made in my life. The one thing that I that I carry with me into this moment is a is a passion to help develop young people. Yeah. that are interested. So yeah. I'm, I mean, I, I ain't just saying that. Yeah. So no matter who's listening, wherever you are in the world, you can reach out to 100%. Carl, Carl Carty and absolutely. So let's talk about for a second. For those three years, you're out yeah. leading worship for him at these uh, revivals and retreats and yep. different events, things like that. Um, from the first time you did one with him to the last time you did one with him in that three-year span, what were you learning as a, mu- as a musician and as a worship leader through that time and, and noticing how you're getting better, more proficient at what you're doing and more confident in what you're doing? Yeah. Like how's, how is that progression yeah, the, the, you know, it was funny. The thing that I got better at and the thing I didn't know I needed to get better at was the, the, the music part was a little bit of a language that I love to speak. I liked singing. I was a good enough guitar player. Uh, those kind of things were a little bit more organic for me, but the pinch points were like the communication part of it the transitions between this song and that song, the ability to use language to glue songs together and the ability to use um, illustrations or concepts in worship and as a worship leader that helped draw people in and help really um, earn trust Mm -hmm. with the people that I was leading. Because in in the specific scenario that I was leading in, I was a stranger in a strange place trying to ask people to do something with me that tends to be predicated on some level of trust. Hey, sing with me. Well, right. I don't trust you. I'm not going to sing with you. I don't know who you are. You know what I mean? That yeah. It can be a little bit of a, of a barrier to break down. So those were the things that over that, those times and still, I mean, that's the thing that I always try to work on uh, worship leaders with. If, if you're like, proficient at music and and music is not the barrier like you're not learning to play the guitar you're not learning how to sing in tune that ship should have already sailed right the thing you're learning now is how to be a communicator how to use language to build bridges and to earn people's trust so that you would even in a even if you have a short time to do it um you're able to draw people in and you're you're, you're invitational with your leadership versus like insecure and on your heels, because man, if there's anything that congregations or just, you don't have to be in church, but any audience, people mirror the thing, you know, that they're, they're seeing on stage. So if you're, if you're not having a good time, they're not having a good time. Right. Or if you're insecure, they're going to be insecure with you, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the trust factor is there. So 
thinking of yourself as a communicator, it's like, I'm not just a singer or guitar player. I'm a communicator. Yeah. And what I'm doing is using music as a means of helping to steward and shape and encourage people's minds, attention and hearts, affection towards Jesus. Yeah. That's one of the things that I've, you know, have learned over the years as well, because people know that I'm a worship leader and worship pastor. And so, and um, I think you and I are very similar in, in the way that we communicate. Um, I've watched you multiple times, you know, leading and, and sharing in between songs and telling stories or drawing people in and sharing through scripture references. And, and it's one of the things that I've learned that I've noticed as well is it's in between the songs because most people in the church know the songs. You know, we're just going to assume that everyone knows song A, song B, song C, and song D. But it's that in-between moment, connecting one song to the next. Mm-hmm. And people come up to me after a church service or a conference or whatever it is, and will tell me, they don't, you know, it's like, great songs, thank you so much. But that's not what they focus on. It's thank you so much for sharing such and such story with us. Right. You know, that really touched me because you're you're relating something that you're going through personally maybe that connects with some what someone else is going through yeah. that's listening. Yeah. You know, and then encouraging them um in, in the Lord. And yeah. so that's it's is such an important thing and, and you do that really, really well. And so it's cool to hear kind of where that started for you. Yeah. Learning that in that three year time span. Yeah. Doing it all the time. Yeah. Right. You know, and then carrying that on. So once you finished up with that, um, working with him for three years, did you move into a, a church scenario of getting to lead worship at a church? Were you going out touring and Well, I was at the at that at that same time simultaneously, I, w- I was, you know, I would be um, you know, asked to lead worship at other things. And then there was also a church that um was planted on my college campus and uh, I started helping lead worship for them and, um, and finding a band, you know, picking out songs, you know, every weekend working with volunteers. Um, I started, started doing all of that kind of together. And that was kind of a mishmash. Is that a thing? I'm going to go with it. A a mishmash (laughs) of things coming together and uh, and then it got to be about 1999, 98 or 99, and I I got it on my heart that I wanted to make a live record, and uh, and a record is this like like fixed media thing that mm-hmm. like you actually bought and sold it, you know, you had it duplicated, <laughs> right. very very interesting things. It's, it's on a compact disc, and uh, you put it in your car and played it. Um, but I uh, so I just got it in my heart. It's like. By this time, I loved leading worship. I knew I had some some skill at it, and then I also knew I was developing. And I also had written, like, you know, I'd written 10, 10 or 12 songs, and I was like, man, I want to record these songs. I want to make yeah. a record, but I don't want to go in a studio. Mm-hmm. I want to I want to do it live. So I wanted to go in the studio. I didn't want to go in the studio. I wanted to record it live, so I, like, booked a big church in town. And uh, I got a live recording. I got you. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so I I got my friends to come and then I hired this guy who um, I I knew he was like, had some studio equipment. He had a bunch of ADATs. (laughs) I made a joke about like CDs being a thing of the past, but like ADATs were these old, like basically they were state of the art at the time. But anyway, we recorded the record on ADATs and and I made this live worship record and uh, with all original songs. 
And um, so funny, I, I mixed it, I mastered it. Again, God's provision. I ended up selling like 10,000 copies of that CD in that year. Wow. Out of the trunk of my car, just going to things with Robert and, you know, and then going to lead worship and these other things. So that had somewhat of a, like, that was a, a, a bit of a, another threshold, kind of turned a corner to where I was like, okay, I don't have to have another job right now. I've got some, I've got some momentum to where I can use this momentum to keep writing songs, um, tuck some money away um, for making another record, you know, to do it, to do it again. And then, um, then I can get married <laughs> and yeah. the time, you know, yeah. so I, I, I got married to my, to my wife in 19, uh, 1998. And um, so that was kind of all of this, you know, jumble of things, you know, together. But that, but, but that record and, and selling those records in that year kind of got me like, got me spun up into some momentum. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, it's funny, like, it was the first time in my life I ever like heard someone else sing a song that I had written. And, and you know, these were worship songs. And it was kind of, I mean, it wasn't a, a live album, wasn't a unique concept, but like, in the way that all worship records now kind of sound like they're live records, whether they are or not. Um, that was, you know, at least for me, innovative and it, it, it stuck and people, people liked it. Uh, that record, interestingly enough, is not commercially available anymore. Cause it was just, <laughs> when I listened back to it, I was like, man, this is terrible, but it worked out. It worked out fine. It's good enough to sell 10,000 copies. <laughs> in, in 1998. Yes. Yeah, that was good. Um, what made you decide to want to, actually be a worship pastor at a church like you're outside of college you did the, you did the church plant yeah right yeah. so you did that for a while and then once you moved on from there like was it your was it your goal yeah and your hope to be a worship pastor for a church like that's what you want to do for a career or did you want to start going out and being a, an artist touring a recording yeah. artist like yeah. or maybe a mix of the two or like what was your yeah i'll hope? give you a little bit of that i mean like my, my you know Part of my time with uh, when I was with Robert Robert Shaw, the guy that discipled me, um, I remember it was like January of one year, and he was asking me questions about like, what do you, what do you think you know your year might look like, or what do you think? He said you're you're at the beginning of of your ministry. Have you ever thought about looking ahead to like really? asking God to give you maybe a, a little bit of clarity for the next few miles of your, of your journey, you know, the next few years of your life, what, what they might look like. And so I, I took to another season of prayer and just seeking God of just a few weeks about, you know, God, would you give me like a little bit of a, a little bit more light on this journey? You know, cause I, I had kind of been going and gotten some momentum and I was playing enough to, um, enough to get by, you know what I mean? I certainly wasn't getting rich, but I was, I was paying my bills, playing music, you know, and, um, be, be, they were very low bills, but at the time I, I it didn't take a lot for me to live, but I came through that season of prayer and, and, um, and seeking the Lord about what's next. And I felt like I got this little, I usually call it like a tripod of things that would kind of undergird my ministry and hold up my ministry. And it was like, I felt like I was unleashed to do three things, lead worship, write songs, 
and help people figure out how to lead worship and write songs. Those three things. And so I felt like that was somewhat of a, of a filter for me to run my decisions through as far as what I was going to do, what opportunities was I going to take, where was I going to live, how was I going to um, order my life and prioritize my life as it, as it related to ministry and things like that. If I was leading worship, writing songs, or helping people to develop as worship leaders or songwriters, then I was I was free to do that. You know what I mean? And sure. I've really kind of continued on my whole life to use that model, at least up to this point. I don't I don't know what's next. You know, I'm I'm middle aged now. <laughs> you know, I have, no, I have no idea. You know yeah. what God's going to do. But for for the previous you know twenty plus years, that has really been a grid through which I've run every decision, and it's really been. God's blessed it because I've yeah. I've given I've had opportunities and so I went from there and so um, making that record for for about the next really I'd say fifteen years I was a traveling worship leader who wrote songs and made records and um, that was the way I made my living and then in two thousand three I moved to Nashville Tennessee with the realization that uh, the songwriting part of me really I needed development yeah. in that like and I just needed to be around people who are much better at songwriting I, I, I knew enough to know that I wasn't as good as I should be to call myself a professional songwriter yeah. or I knew enough to know that like the songs that I was writing they could they were passable but they needed that like that refining and that polish that you can really only get from like a seasoned songwriter, yeah. somebody who's ahead of you in the journey. Yeah. And so we moved to Nashville. My wife and I moved to Nashville in 2003. Okay. So let's, let's pause on that for a second. I want to, I want to back up just for a minute because you're talking about for those, that number of years that you are a traveling worship leader Yeah. and that's how you're making your living. Yeah. So, and that's part of what I do as well. I'm, I go out and I, I do get quote unquote guest worship leading. That's the title I've given myself. I don't, yeah. know, I don't know if that's a title everyone else uses, but that's, that's my thing. Um, and I'm doing concerts, you know, and churches and camps and retreats and con- you know, whatever, all these different things. So, but for you, when you're out doing that, you know, you're having to go out and find places to play, mm-hmm. you know, whether it be churches or different events that you're working at. So, can you talk about how your process was for finding churches or the camps and different types of quote unquote venues we'll call yeah. it, you know, to to go lead worship for or do concerts for? Who how are you finding places to go and reach out to them and what are you what are you telling them or asking them to say, Hey, would you be willing to bring me in yeah. to your space? To be quite frank with you, I didn't have to do a lot of that because of my association. I got associated with certain ministries and certain people like Robert. Like once I was with Robert and his ministry, like his contacts became my contacts. Sure. And then there's relationships. A, yes, relationships. And um and there was another guy that I went to college with. His name is Clayton King. And Clayton has been a traveling evangelist for as long as I've been in, in ministry. Like when, when we were first in college together, he was like, I think I'm going to start a 
a student camp and I'm going to call it Crossroads and I want you to lead worship at it. Well, I was like, heck yeah, let's do it. You know, I mean, we're like yeah. 21 years old. Sure. And, uh, but he, he, Clayton started this camp and he invited me to lead worship at it. Well, I did that for 15 years almost with him. And so every summer for five or six weeks, churches from all over the country ended up coming to this camp mm-hmm. to hear me lead worship. Clayton was paying, you know, paying me to lead worship at this camp. But then the churches would go home and then they would call me and say, hey, will you come and lead worship on Sunday at our church? Or yeah. would you come to this event? We saw you at camp. And so I had the the benefit of like really kind of tagging along with some of these other like parachurch ministries that had their own networks. And all the while I was building my own, you know, network within that. And, you know, I, I think it's I think it's fair to say, too, that, you know, I worked really hard at my craft. Um, I showed up on time. Um, I always pay the people that played for me. Um, I, um, I always send a thank you note. I, you know, I just I was a hustler. I knew, yeah. you know, my mom cleaned houses my whole life. She helped put me through college uh, cleaning houses. And that's like hard work. But I watched my I watched my mom and she taught me how to work. And so. I know how to work. Yeah. And so I, I I didn't think I was doing anything special. Like I just didn't go home and I didn't quit. Um, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and that's, that's that process. That's, that's how you end up being successful is not quitting. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it comes down to. Hustle ultimately. beats no matter talent every day. Hustle beats talent every day. Absolutely. Yeah. So I mean I'm I'm not the world's greatest hustler, but I just was like I'm smart enough to know that, like, you know, I'm going to call this person back. Or I'm smart enough to know that, like, if I say I'm going to show up at, you know, on Friday at 5, then I'll be there at 5 on Friday, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, just little things like that. And I think people appreciated that. And, you know, Marty, you know, this is God's grace to me. But, um, you know, Robert taught me how to pray and how to read the Bible. And so I, I learned to pray and read the Bible and uh, put those things in my heart. And I think that that added power to my ministry that no amount of my own hustle or effort could ever add. And it did something. It also did something in me that gave me perspective on like why I was doing it or like, you know, you know, if I was, you know, going to, you know, make money, what was I going to do with that money? Uh, Was it going to be kingdom money or was it going to be Carl money? Um, That kind of thing. I'm I'm thankful to God. That's just all God's grace. Like, you know, I'm th- I'm th- I'm thankful that uh, I had enough people in my life and enough people that made investments in me, Robert and he, and others still to just, you know, teach me how, teach me how to live, you know. Yeah. And, sure. How did you end up here at Fellowship? Okay, that's Cuz uh, Fellowship is a large church. Yes. It's yeah. a it's a very large church and so to go from leading worship and being the worship pastor at a church plant in college. Yeah. You know, or going out and leading, being a guest worship leader, quote unquote, sure. for yeah. other churches and different things like that, to being the worship pastor for a large church in in Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah. yeah. You know, how do you make that transition? Yeah. Well, it was a very long and uh, it's kind of funny, like organic process. But like when I moved, I said I, I told you I moved to Nashville in two thousand three. Right. Uh, I wanted to become a professional songwriter, um, so I moved to town, started writing songs, signed a publishing deal. I'm still traveling, going out, but I just 
relocated the base from which I traveled out of mm -hmm. to Nashville. So I'm still traveling and I get this publishing deal, start writing songs. Well, when I'm in town, I'm like, my wife and I need a place to go to church. And we always said that no matter what, like our Christian music ministry around the world would never take precedence over our commitment to the local church. Like whenever we could be there, whether if it was like on a weird night or something like that, we're, we're local church people. We go, we're involved in the local church um, because, because Christian music is not the hope of the world. The local church, you know, <laughs> Christian music is not the means through which God uh, brings his redemptive um, plan to work. And it's the local right. church, you know what I mean? And so we're like, well, one or the other, you know, God's called us to this parachurch ministry, so to speak, but we're local church people. And so we're going to be in a local church. Well, fellowship was the first church I ever came to. And so, um, I, um, I started writing a lot more songs, you know, one of the little legs of my tripod, so to speak. And um, I was writing a lot of songs, still traveling, um, but enough to where I was at Fellowship enough at the time to where I, I said, you know, if I can serve here, I, I want to. And so they were like, well, we have auditions. You can come and audition. So I came here, I auditioned to be a guitar player. So I played guitar here when I was in, in church on Sundays. Um, for about a year. And then someone said, Hey, can you sing? I was like, yeah, I'm a pretty good singer. So I auditioned as a singer. And, um, and then, so I sang backgrounds here. And then, um, someone said, can you lead worship? I was like, well, that's actually, it's kind of my thing. I like do that a lot. And so, uh, on a random Sunday when someone was out and they didn't have anybody, they asked me to lead worship. Mm -hmm. And so it was just this very slow, mm -hmm. progressive, um, type of a thing. And again, this is, you know, like, 2004, 2005, um, I'm, you know, I'm just hanging out. And then uh, not too long after that, at the time, fellowship was kind of a revolving door of worship leaders. So they had as, we had as many as nine people who would lead worship on any given weekend. So, and they were all good. Um, thankfully, fellowship is very, very blessed with a lot of good singers you know i mean it's it's really it's really great but the church leadership was like hey let's let's dial this in a little bit so we can have some more consistent voices you know this it's a little confusing to people to, we don't know who's coming and mm -hmm. so at that point they dialed the number down to four people and i was one of them and so it was me this guy ronnie freeman uh, Jason Ingram and Christy Knuckles, and that was the four of us. And so we all like were on the road at the same time. We were all like traveling. So yeah. each of us took a weekend, and then the other weekends we were either in church or we were out on the road. So, and it was that way for a long time. Yeah. But needless to say, I mean, long story short, at you know, we've had a worship pastor since then. Um, I actually. Um, lived in South Carolina for a year uh, where I helped to start a worship training school there. I came back to Nashville um, in 2016 mm -hmm. and um, I was asked, asked to become the worship pastor at Fellowship, but it was a church that I've been a part of for since 2003. Yeah. Well, and I remember when you guys left, we were all devastated. <laughs> like, Don't leave. We didn't want you to leave. We oh, loved, that's we very, loved you guys. That's very kind. Well, and then we missed you. That's why we came back. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, well, of course you missed me. Of okay. course. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, we knew that when you, you left to go out there and work with that, which was another large church, Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, large body and with lots of different campuses and things right. like that. Yeah. And so that you were huge starting. Church. Real quick, I, I want to rewind just for a moment. Put a pin in, remember the, the worship college aspect. Yeah, 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 I want to yeah. come back to that. But before I forget, you mentioned when you first moved to town, you started writing more songs and you got a publishing deal. So what is the process for you to land a publishing deal? How did you go about it? And how do you, you know, like, and how do you encourage people that are moving to a music city, wanting to be a songwriter for a living, whether it be in the Christian market or the mainstream market, that doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, I think it's pretty much all the same in how, in how you get in to those places. But what was your connection there? And and what would you encourage people to do that are wanting to do that? Well, I, I have to I have to be honest and, and say to you that like my story is not a very encouraging story <laughs> in the sense of like I I signed a publishing deal about six weeks after I moved to Nashville. While I was zero, no knew knew nobody in town at all except for my landlord, who was an old lady. Uh, had nothing to do with music, but um, on the second night that I lived here, I went to this thing called NSAI, which is Nashville Songwriters Association. It was like a, I don't know, like support group for songwriters, yeah. basically. Yeah, it's, it's still, it's still it's, around. Okay, yeah. It's a huge thing. Okay, so I went there, and um, it happened to be the night that they hosted what was called a pitch to publisher for Christian music. So you would bring your song and you would play it like on a, on a, uh, you know, CD or something, um, for a group of, uh, Christian music publishers. Right. And the concept of it was that they would give you feedback so that you could know like what you needed to work on and like whether or not like, Hey, this is, this is a good, I think this is a good song. Can I get some feedback on this? Yeah. That was the second night I lived in town. So now I had worked very hard on songwriting and making records, you know, because at this time, you know, I had made a couple other records and demos and stuff like that. So, um, but I played my, uh, I played my song, and um, the guy was up there. He was like, "It's pretty good. See me after class." <laughs> so I was like, "All right, All right. <laughs> you know, it felt great, you know." Yeah. So I, that guy's name was Joe Beck, and I'll always be grateful to Joe Beck. But he was the, uh, he was just starting. A worship division at, at Spring Hill Music, which was owned by Gaither, it still is. Uh, but uh, Gaither has a huge, huge publishing thing. They do do all kinds of music, and so um, he was looking for people that knew how to write worship songs. And we started talking. I started going up there and playing him some more songs. He heard me sing. Uh, came to hear me play, you know, once or twice. And within about six weeks of that, he offered me a publishing deal. Wow. And uh, and so I was like, of course. Yeah. Are you kidding me? You yeah. got publishing deals. I'll take one. Yeah. <laughs> so. Let's let's just make sure, put a little asterisk next to this part of the portion of the interview and tell people that's that's not normally how quickly it goes. Well, and I don't – I, I, I even hesitate. Sometimes it does, and that's I awesome. hesitate to say that story because – it sounds like it was just like well, like falling off a log. Yeah. Um, but it, for some people, it is. Yeah. I mean, for some people, it is that quick and that natural. Well, but I, I wouldn't say it's normal. You know, but like it, it was, 
it was again, it was another threshold moment, but I didn't come to that threshold empty handed. I had written a lot of songs yeah. all by myself in my bedroom. I had led worship with a lot of these songs and like either watched them fall flat or seen them work. And then through that process, refined and worked out and sorted out, like I gotten better. You, yeah. you, you know what I mean? Sure. But it was, it was, uh, it was, I wasn't random about it. I, I worked on my craft. And so even though it was like, I moved there, you know, second night, I get this, you know, connection with this publisher. He ends up signing me to a publishing deal for six weeks. I live in town. That, that is a good story, but it has a lot of backstory. Yeah. And that's true. And that's, and that's good for people to know, but it's also, it's also good for people to, to know, okay, if you're coming to Nashville or whatever city, big city you're living in that does music, you know, you're, there's a chapter of of NASI yes. or, or some organization, a songwriting organization, support group, whatever you want to call it. Every major music city has one. And and it's important to tell people that you need to be a part of that. And if, yeah, and if you're, every major music city has one. Um, and if you're not a part of some kind of community, you are shortchanging your own success by operating in a silo or being a lone ranger. Um, I, I'm sure, uh, like some people may feel like, you know, um, no one, you know, maybe gets me or like I'm too artistic or I have trouble making friends. A, a lot of people like us who write songs, um, are truly introspective and we're not like, you know, like social acrobats. We don't always like feel great in rooms full of people, but if that is too big of an obstacle, uh, for you to overcome, it is going to impede. It's it's going to impede you making a living in music, mm-hmm. uh, especially like a place like Nashville. I, I I've never like moved in lost circles in L.A. or New York, but but like in Nashville, it's a relationship town. It's a relational thing, and now you know the world is so much bigger mm-hmm. as far as like like we talked about earlier, like as far as it relates to who you have access to. The world is so much bigger now, and so like. You can have pretty much have access to anybody, but even if you're reaching out to someone, the relational skill that you would want to have in order to engage them, to earn their trust, to communicate clearly with them, all of those things are things that can be worked on, can be cultivated. But if a a person wants to be successful in their in their music career, their songwriting career, I'd, I'd be surprised if if it was possible without some level of relationship building. You know sure. what I mean? It's like, if yeah. it, I don't care how good your songs are. If you're just a total meanie and hard to get along with yeah. and no one likes to be in the room with you, yeah. that's that's going to put a lid on your songs. Yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? We've had this conversation multiple multiple episodes. Yeah, that, okay. That, it's this exact conversation with different people yeah. talking about that. You know, if, if you're no fun to be around, People don't want to be around you. They they're not going to want to work with you. Yeah, you know, yeah. no matter how good you are, and a lot of a lot of mean people get a lot of work, but it's not going to last for very long. Oh, sure, it's not likely. a sustainable model. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so, as a published writer, can you can you share with the audience some some of the artists or bands that you've had some songs recorded by? Yeah, man. Like I've had all kinds of a broad range. Do it. Of things. Tell us. Uh, Hit me. I've had. 
one big song that really helped helped me out get started and helped me recoup my deal with Gaither was the Gaither vocal band cut the song called Glorious Impossible that I wrote. I wrote it with the guy who signed me to a publishing deal. Nice. And it was, it's a Christmas song and it's been cut like 70 times in different languages Dude, around awesome. the world I didn't and stuff know like that. that. Uh, the Oak Ridge Boys cut what? that song. Uh, I've had, uh, How I've had songs. How fun is that? Yeah. I've had songs with uh, Aaron Schust, Laura Story, Big Daddy Weave, um, Integrity Worship, Lifeway Worship, uh, Elevation Worship. Um, I wrote so a couple songs uh, with those guys that have done very well. Uh, you know, I, and then like hundreds and hundreds of you know small cuts here and there. Yeah. You know that that just add up and help yeah. to to make that's what makes it a living. You know. Yeah. Yeah. For about ten years, I was writing over a hundred songs a year. Um, you know, co-writing. You know, with, right. with different people um, and things like that. And so my catalog is out there and it's kind of like you know every now and then there's there's some mailbox money i'm you know i'm not buying a lambo uh or or <laughs> really even expensive shoes <laughs> you know i'm i'm hey i'm I'm so thankful for it yeah. i really really am that's cool i mean i knew that you were getting that you've had cuts and things but i i didn't know about some of those yeah. so that's that's yeah fun to hear. Uh, in 2012 i, I won a, a dove award for inspirational song of the year with uh with jenny lee riddle i wrote i wrote this the song that sayla put out that year it's called hope of the broken world so it was song of the year dove award uh, it was a number one song that year uh, just recently um the guy from city harmonic uh it's, this is so funny uh elias dummer He's um, a Canadian worship leader. He has mm-hmm. a band called City Harmonic. Mm-hmm. He's actually just had a big hit on the radio, too, with a song, It's Enough. Um, but he and I wrote this song called Honestly back in my Spring Hill days, so, like, over 10 years ago. And uh, it was just last year the Praise of Worship Song of the Year in Canada. Nice. <laughs> and, and, and Elias called me. He was like, hey, I got good news for you. Uh, your song won, like, which which ends up being, like, a Canadian, Canadian Dove Award. Yeah. It's like. I was like, "That's hilarious!" So it's, you know, it's like, cut like ten years later. Yes, absolutely. Released. He put, he he put he he put it out again because he he said, "Man, I've led this song for ten years in Canada. I, I think I'm going to put it out again." And you know, if people ask me to play a song or a song comes back, it's it's usually this song. And I had the same experience with that song, mm-hmm. you know. And it's a song called "Honestly." Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you might have never even heard it, <laughs> you know. But like, it's just one of those things where it just it just surprises you, you yeah. know. Songs are so, you can, I mean, you can't keep them down. <laughs> yeah, are you still are you still signed with the publishing company? Still- no. Um, so I went through. Uh, I was I went from Spring Hill to a company called Brentwood Benson, yep. which um, was sold to Capital Christian Music Group. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say that was probably like 2014, 2013, uh, and so when that deal when when that catalog and those songs went to capital i didn't i didn't go with it so yeah so when that company was sold they had options to pick up writers and things like that and so i didn't get picked up but i continued to write and uh, that was not too long uh not too long after that was when i wrote those songs with elevation worship so i ended up like being my own publisher for Mm -hmm. those songs which are probably the you know some of the the more valuable copyrights that i was able to write you know so yeah, that ended up being a good thing. Um, so let's talk about that for a second. What are the advantages and disadvantages of being a writer signed to a publishing company versus being a self-published 
songwriter yeah. and getting your being able to get your songs out there and actually make a living like what would you say the pros and cons to yeah well now it's now it's very different unless you've got your own track record and you're coming to the table um like to hope that like a publisher will give you a public a decent publishing advance like something that you could live on mm -hmm. it's it's those days are they're not gone forever, but they're much more rare mm -hmm. to say that like, hey, I'm a songwriter, I'm not an artist. Um, I just write songs in my bedroom. Will you give me fifty grand a year on the hopes of, you know, I'll write I'll write these songs for you and then they'll recoup that money. Right. That's more rare than it was when I when I first started. Yeah. And so the music industry changed rapidly. And I, I I even came in, you know, in the in the early 2000s on the tail end of that you know the, the music industry was deconstructing quickly as far as like the old model and you know what it is now is about content creation you know like no no one's getting signed or to a publishing deal or to a record deal or anything like that unless they bring with them like hey here's my million followers on instagram here's my hundred thousand um monthly listeners on spotify you know like th those are things that really it's it's on the creator to to do those things and mm -hmm. that is to me what i think is the hardest part about earning a living in music now is like being good at music is just a small small part of the equation unless you bring some people around you who are able to help you like really be clever with social media really cultivate your fan base and your following to be for you uh, what a manager or a record label would have been for some for an artist ten years ago. Um, I think the relationship between an artist and say like a you know a publisher or something like that it it still can be valuable and can be important. But I'm not sure that say like a formal music publisher like really knows like oh, I've got this figured out. I know what's going to work and what won't work versus like, you know, so many of the other opportunities that, you know, are, pre are presented for the for the person who's willing to get out there and work. Uh, that's not to discount uh, publishers at, at all. You know, you give, right. you know, you give a good song to me, you know, and I might like, I might not do a great job marketing it or pushing it, but you give a great song to a publisher, uh, they're probably going to do a fantastic job. Yeah. That's their but job. But they've got to start with a great song. Like if you have an average song and you get mad at your publisher because they don't, it, it's not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. It it might be their fault, but it's probably the song's fault. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. Uh, it, and so really, like it, I mean, to your question about like what are the advantages and disadvantages? Like it's really hard to say. It's so hard to quantify that because really all of it is like. You'd, you'd almost have to admit, like, I didn't see that coming. Yeah. You know, like, I, you know, I saw the guy today uh, in 2012. I was at this writer's retreat, and the guy, one of the guys who, who signed Lauren Daigle, was like, back then, talking about, well, we have this new young girl. She's a very good singer, and we're just trying to figure out, you know, what to do with her, and hopefully it'll work out. We really like her voice. Um, but we're just, you know, we're hoping it goes well. Yeah. <laughs> he he was not saying she's going to sell a million records. Right. She's going to sing the national anthem at the college national championship game. She's going right. to be like, 
at, you know. Now she's one of the biggest art, artists in Christian music. Or even in pop music. You know yeah, what I true. mean? Yeah, like, she's, she's like, Billboard. He, he, he had no, I mean, he wanted those kinds of things, but those would have almost been like audacious things to even say out loud. People right. would have been like, ah, oh, gee whiz. You know, so, I mean, yeah. there's, there's a person like that, you know, on, the, on, on both sides of the desk. She probably didn't know either. You know what I mean? She might have had a dream in her heart. And how, how many, like, had the same dream with completely different outcomes? You know what I mean? Sure, absolutely. It's just one of those. So maybe I should ask the question a little differently and say, if you're a songwriter and you want to get signed to a publishing deal as a writer, do you think it's at this point in the music world? Yeah. Is it still easier to get a song cut on an album by a major artist going through a publisher? Or can you, as a self-published person, owning your own publishing company, have avenues to get your song to that same artist and have them cut it going your own route? Yeah, I mean, again, it it comes down to relationships. It's either, as as an individual person, it's the relationships that you have. Mm Mm-hmm. Or if you're with a publisher, it's the relationships what they have. It is almost extremely unlikely in the in the case of the most rarest special song, like if you have "Wind Beneath My Wings," or like you know a song you know that is just like like you say, or like you've got a guitar part like Neon or some amazing song, then this doesn't apply to you. But those things don't that they might come along once in a lifetime. But it's very unlikely without a song like that that you're getting cuts on records unless you're the producer or you're in the room with the artist. You know, almost all the songs that, you know, get cut on records now, the artist is a writer on them mm-hmm. or, um, or you're like a killer track person, you know, that kind of like synth hook person, some, something like that programmer mm-hmm. that is able to bring, bring that kind of level of creativity to the song. Uh, you've got to have that relationship. Get get in the room with the artist, or at least get on the radar with a relationship enough to be able to submit. Say, hey, dear artist, I wrote this hook. I, I had this melody idea. I had this lyric. Would you want to do this with me? Could I invite you into this? I know a lot of guys that just like they write three quarters of a song, and then like leave it open so that an artist, you know, who's looking for songs. Mm-hmm could have, you know, a, a, an entry way to, for them to say, hey, would, would you help me finish this? Just you know? reaching out to them, just kind of cold? Well, the, the, cold, the cold call is, is... Or is it someone... Is a hard sell. I'm, I'm, I'm saying... They've got a relationship. Like, they, know, a rel- they know so-and-so somewhat yeah. and can reach out and say, hey... That would, that would be uh, much much more likely, yeah. you know. Um, but that happens on a pretty regular basis nowadays. I would, I would think so, yeah. 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 That's good. Uh, okay, now let's jump back forward again. And um, before we wrap up here, because I know we've got other things that you got to do. So you started a college, a a worship college. Can you talk a little bit about what that is and and how that how that works and what what gave you that idea? Yeah, well, um, I've always I've always led worship, written songs and help people lead worship songs to the tripod. And so like development has always been like really because of how Robert developed me, it has always been a huge part of 
a, really a burden that I, I felt like God gave me that, you know, helped me look at other people that were coming up beside me or coming up uh, behind me and look at them as people that were worth developing and worth investing in. So, um, here at fellowship now I have what's called the fellowship worship residency. And, uh, it's like the length of a school year, you know, it starts in September, it ends in May. And, uh, I've developed a curriculum that uh, I take worship leaders through. It's based in three concepts, um, musical proficiency, uh, you have to be good at your craft. Um, biblical literacy, you have to know um, the hope that you're singing about. And uh, I believe I believe the best place to find that is just knowing the truths of the Scripture. And then uh, character depth. So if uh, you're not standing up on a foundation uh, built through community, um, and your character built through community, like you, you don't be, you don't become a good person in isolation. You become a good person in community. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We're strong. We're stronger together. We're better together. We grow together. Uh, so you know, we take a year. I take a year with three or four worship leaders at, at a time, and um, take them through a curriculum that I help to develop that um, helps accelerate growth in those three areas. So musical literacy. Um, Biblical, uh, musical proficiency, biblical literacy, and uh, and character depth. That's cool. Yeah, and that's been two two or three years now. You've yes, you've, I've done I've done two years, two years so far. Yeah, yeah. And how do you decide what four students to bring on each some or each year? You know, I'm I'm always just looking for who God brings me. Mm-hmm. Um, I am looking for someone who is like called specifically in, in in this program here at fellowship it's not like a band thing so so to speak mm-hmm. uh, like if you just want to be a guitar player and learn to play guitar better in church it wouldn't be for that person as much as it is for the person who's like i'm called to be the the leader of this communication organizational skill mm-hmm. uh, like like singing is a big part of it because I'm a big believer as, as a worship leader, as a congregational um, leader of singing. You know what I mean? So I, I, I want this person to be a very good singer. I want them to be proficient enough on an instrument so that their playing of it is not a distraction. Uh, they're accompanying themselves without any great degree of difficulty. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I want, I'm looking for folks who are kind of down the road a little bit, even folks who have a somewhat of a track record of leading worship or can at least demonstrate I'm I've already said yes to this calling before this residency opportunity came up. So I'm, I'm that, I'm that far down the road with or without it. You know what I mean? That's the kind of person I'm looking for. Yeah. Um, dude, that's awesome. Oh man. Thanks. You're awesome. Uh, you're very, you're very nice to say that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, what might be something that would help someone to make a decision Okay, this is the direction. Either I want to go. I'm going to pursue this now, or someone that's already—they're working on it. They're—they're they're pursuing it now. They're actively, you know, doing these things. But sometimes, you know, and you know, you and I have both have been in this for over 20 years. I'm still hitting ceilings. Mm. You know, I feel like there are certain. Sometimes there are things I just—I can't get past a certain level of whatever it is I'm trying to work on, and it's really mm. frustrating. And you know. 
how do I get over this particular obstacle? Yeah. You know, so when people hit that, you know, what would you maybe be something that you would encourage them in to do that? Yeah. I mean, if you're being faithful to a call, then it's almost guaranteed going to be hard. That's just a guarantee. Mm -hmm. If it, when it starts getting easy or when it starts getting like, Oh yeah, I got this. That's the most dangerous time. Sure. You know what I mean? Absolutely. You don't, we don't grow. We don't improve. We don't flourish outside of, of pressure and outside of like really working hard. Um, now, like, I, I love what I get to do. I really love it. I'm so thankful for it. It's not easy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so for, for the person that's like, you know, in the midst of um, just like, like a hard thing, I, I wouldn't, I would, I, I would, this is what I'm going to say. I would encourage you um, in, um, in, in two things. Uh, First Corinthians four sixteen through eighteen says, uh, "Don't lose heart, though outwardly you're wasting away. It's a grind. It's hard. It's a mm-hmm. struggle. It's not easy." Yeah. The Bible says, "Inwardly you're being renewed day by day, for your light and temporary troubles are achieving for you a greater glory that far outweighs them all. The weight of glory is so much more substantial than the weight of any of your trials." So therefore, it says, uh, don't fix your eyes on what you see, but on what you don't see. For what you see is temporary, but what you don't see is eternal. And so the eternal things are really, I mean, are really what you're about. That's really what's worth the struggle. Like the fight is not worth it if the fight is all there is. But the fight is definitely worth it. If you're going for something bigger than yourself, greater than yourself, and a glory that far outweighs them all. And for me, it's the glory of God. Uh, I think about uh, Colossians 1, 15, um, talking about Jesus. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, uh, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Like the things you can see, Jesus is Lord of those things too. But the things you can't see, the things that matter most, those are worth hustling for. Those are worth striving for. And and Jesus is worth striving for. That passage of scripture goes on to talk about um, Jesus making peace for us all mm-hmm. by the blood of his cross and reconciling all things. Like if I've got something to sing about, even on the hard days, it's going to be that. Yeah. It's Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. The, the music that we do for a living in, in Christian music and worship music is a tool to point people to Christ. That's all it is. To me, it's what everything is. I, yeah. I, I love the thing about that. Yeah. Yeah. So awesome, man. Thank you so much for, you're welcome Marty. for letting me come in and hang out with you and spend time. And I'm thankful that you were your story. able to join me uh, here in my office. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, you have a great, uh, great rest of the day and, um, We'll talk to you soon. All right. All right, guys, there you have it. Well, I hope you enjoyed our conversation today. 
And if you're wanting to get into being a worship leader or a worship pastor for a church or any type of ministry aspect, I hope you're able to take what we've talked about and put it into practice into your, into your calling, into the ministry that God has given you. It's such an important thing that we talked about being uh, having a mentor. That's such an, an amazing and important part of ministry anyway, but as a worship leader myself, I can speak directly to that point, um, how important it is to have someone that you can talk to and who can encourage you and you can look up to and can kind of, kind of guide you along the path of, uh, of being a worship leader and a worship pastor. So I hope you're encouraged by what we talked about. Please do me a favor. If you are enjoying this podcast, would you please subscribe to it? on whatever platform you're listening to it on and be sure to uh, to like it and to share it with all of your friends and let them know about it. And uh, let's, let's continue to get the word out about what we are talking about um, on this podcast. Remember, Edenbrook Productions is here to help. If you need consulting services via phone call, Skype, Zoom, or FaceTime, be sure to let us know how we can help you begin to make a living in the music industry.